straight-armed salutes. He fought in the streets and relished the violence. White power persists in Wisconsin. In 2012, skinhead Wade Michael Page marched into a Sikh temple in suburban Milwaukee and killed six worshippers. But Michaelis is no longer part of the movement. He found his way out at a McDonald's. Michaelis worked at a t-shirt factory. His employer was Jewish, his colleagues were black and Hispanic. Their kindness and friendship confused him, but he remained committed to his racist ideology. When he got paid, he spent his money drinking and listening to hate rock, but first he celebrated with a Big Mac and Diet Coke. One payday in 1994, Michaelis went into his local McDonald's for his monthly meal. He'd just got a new swastika tattoo on the middle finger of his right hand. He imagined shoving it in someone's face right before he clenched his hand into a fist. But as he recognised the friendly black woman serving him, he found himself attempting to hide the Nazi symbol. As he later recalled, she gave him a look that said, I love you, but let's stop this foolishness. Then she asked, What is that on your finger? Michaelis couldn't meet her eye. It's nothing. You're a better person than that, she said. I know that's not who you are. It was, explains Isla, a very human interaction that showed she saw him as a human being that also showed him there was some room for coexistence in diversity. That unraveled his entire house of cards of extremist ideology, and that was one of the triggers for him leaving the neo-Nazi scene completely. Michaelis watched the marches in Charlottesville with a mounting sense of dread and frustration. The neo-Nazi movement was gaining strength and the counter-protesters were helping it by responding violently. It's exactly what the alt-right sought to provoke, he tells me. This is on their shoulders for the most part, but Antifa played right into their hands. Michaelis isn't a pacifist. A mix of hard and soft response is tactically wise in general, he says. But his experience with neo-Nazis suggests confrontation simply plays into their hands. A few days after Charlottesville, Michaelis published a post on Medium, How to Smash Neo-Nazi Events. The basic principle, let them do what they want, but don't acknowledge their presence. Organise a fundraiser for a peace-building non-profit across the street from their event or somewhere close by, Michaelis wrote. Organise an engine of what diversity has to offer and how much happier life is when we're not afraid of each other. Or, as he tells me, a 6k run would do far more damage to the neo-Nazi cause than the response that happened. White supremacy has changed since Michaelis was active in the movement. In the 1980s and 1990s, neo-Nazis met and recruited primarily through white power music. Now, they do it online. Fashwave, electronic music for fascists, is the closest contemporary equivalent. You still see enthusiasm for the old bands, but it's a little bit diminished, says Keegan Hanks, an analyst at the Southern Poverty Law Center, a US hate monitoring group. The majority of the propaganda and the indoctrination is taking place on social media platforms and taking place online. In the wake of the Charlottesville march, Google and GoDaddy expelled the neo-Nazi website The Daily Stormer from their web address registration services. Cloudflare, a company that helps protect websites from denial-of-service attacks, also terminated The Daily Stormer's account. I do think this is a win, Hankers says.
The way these platforms are being used by extremists really gives them an outsized voice. But for Isla, it's simply the online version of counterproductive counterprotesting. This one worries me, he says. Pushing extremists further into echo chambers, off the large websites and into smaller encrypted spaces both makes it harder to keep track of them and makes it harder to oppose the things they say and do on these sites. Instead, we, the moderates, the non-Nazis, should get on their sites, argue back, show humanity in the face of inhumane thoughts and ideology. In the years before his attack, Anders Breivik collected email addresses. I spent thousands of hours doing this over a duration of more than six months, he wrote in his manifesto. The day he left to plant his bomb and sail to Utoya, he sent out an email to a list of over 1,000. Attached to each one was the 1,500-page document, written in English.